it is different to walk up to Katy Perry. I'm not going to lie. <clears throat> Christine's here. I know she did it. Adrian did it. It's, it's, def- it's a great experience. I recommend it for everybody. Hey, join me in a word of prayer before we dive into the sermon this morning. God, thank you so much um, for, for this day, this, this resurrection day, this reminder of you making all things new, beginning with that, that third day, raising again from the dead. Jesus, uh, speak to us this morning uh, through your word, through, through Mary Magdalene, and, uh, and through the, the story that we're going to hear. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Fremont Community Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Eric. I'm the lead minister here at uh, Fremont Community Church. And uh, this is our second Easter as a family here. And it's such a privilege to be a part of this church family. Uh, and, and I'm going to, like Becca said, conclude our series on the women that gave us Jesus. And we've spent the last four weeks talking about just four. There's so many more women of the Bible that we could be inspired by and learn from. Uh, but we talked about Esther and we talked about Ruth and Naomi. And, and we talked last week about Mary uh, of Nazareth. The, the mother of Jesus. And this week we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene. Um, she plays such a crucial role in the early church, specifically with Easter Sunday. And, and, and Easter is one of those stories that we maybe take for granted if we're in church uh, every year on Easter because we've heard it again and again. It's kind of like the Christmas story, right? We've heard it so many times. Um, is there really anything new to hear from it? And so this morning, I want us to look through a different lens as we talk about Easter. If you're not familiar with the story of Easter, I'm just going to recap uh, the, the life of Jesus briefly so that you're aware. Um, and I also want to welcome the kids who are here. Our powerhouse kids are with us. So welcome, kids. Uh, We've got an Easter gift for you. So if you didn't get a, an Easter bag when you came in, kids, we'll make sure that you get one before you leave. But we're glad that you're here with us. Um, so the story goes like this. Um, the, the, the world was lost and broken because humanity uh, is broken. And uh, we invited this mess that we see, this brokenness that we see all around us. You know, the Bible uses this word sin, but brokenness is another good word for it. And, and, and humanity's kind of at a loss without help. And so what does God do? Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus came um, to this earth, born of a virgin, uh, and, and, and lived the perfect life that we were meant to live in lockstep with God, step by step with God for his whole life. All of the brokenness and sin that we contributed to the world, he's the only human that didn't contribute anything to that. He lived the perfect life we were meant to live. And he taught us what, what, what God cares about. He taught us what, what life is supposed to be. He taught us what, what, what would be pleasing to God and how we can know God. And he showed us what God is like. And then um, he went around with this crazy message, preaching this, this idea of the kingdom of God. And when they asked him, are you the king? He would, he would kind of sometimes speak in code and sometimes he would say, yes, I am. And that got him in a lot of trouble. Uh, the religious leaders of his day didn't like that message, one, because it seemed blasphemous. Is he saying he's God? And, and they also didn't like it because they knew that would get them in trouble with the Roman Empire, who was kind of over, over top of uh, ruling over the people of Israel, right? And so they, they turned him in, and the Romans uh, did what the Romans often do, and they, they, they crucified him. And that's what happens on Good Friday. He was killed because of the good news that he came to bring. And then there's Holy Saturday, Holy Saturday is yesterday, and it's this, this idea of, like, he's in the tomb. We thought something was going to happen. We thought the king was supposed to bring peace. We thought the king was supposed to usher in this kingdom, and he's in the tomb? This doesn't make any sense. 
And so God's, God's uh, people and, and Jesus' closest friends and family are sitting there on that Saturday going, what next? What do we do? And then Easter Sunday is the day that they found the tomb was empty and that he had risen again from the dead. And it says that he appeared first to Mary Magdalene and then to Peter and to John and then to uh, at least 500 other people. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. It's a beautiful story. It's, it's maybe the most important story in all of history. Before we go further with this Easter story, I want to talk a minute about Holy Saturday because it often gets you know, sandwiched between Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday, and it, maybe we don't pay enough attention to it. We know the end of the story, right? We know Sunday came and the tomb was empty, but they didn't know on that Saturday. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to feel. They thought victory was on the way, and instead they felt defeat. It's like this. It's like rewatching a Pixar movie. Um, I know what's going to happen. Where'd it go? Where'd you go, guy? <laughs> Hello. There we go. Toy Story 3. Who's seen Toy Story 3? I don't, I've seen this movie over and over and over again. I still get so stressed out during this scene. And if those of you know me, you know I still cry every time I see that scene. Right? I know what's coming, and yet I'm still wrapped up in the story and the emotions of the story. It still pulls me in because I'm empathizing with the characters and, and I'm, I'm wondering what would I do in that situation. And that's, a, that's just what Toy Story does to our emotions. Imagine Jesus' closest friends. Imagine his mother. What were they going through on Holy Saturday as Jesus lay in that tomb? We know Jesus' friends are overwhelmed with grief and confusion. The men, his, his, his 11 remaining disciples, they're, they're actually hiding. They're scared because if, if, if they're going to do that to Jesus, what are they going to do to us because we're his people? And so they're hiding. They're, they're just trying to figure out what to do next. But you know who doesn't hide? The women. Proving once and for all that women are better than men. The women don't hide. They, they, they continue in faithfulness. Even though it seems like all is lost, what are we supposed to do? Well, according to our customs and our laws, the Jewish faith, we're supposed to go and take care of the body. We're supposed to make sure that, that the body can, can be taken care of and that, that Jesus can rest in peace. And so while the men hide, the women do, the, the, the best thing they can think to do is just the next step of faithfulness. What, I'm just gonna take this next step. I don't know what to do, but I'm just gonna do what I think is the next right thing. And so they go. And, and, and among these women, we find Mary Magdalene. And that's who we're going to hone in on this Easter Sunday. And, and I want to just talk and do a quick biography of Mary Magdalene because I think it's important that we understand who she is. She's one of those people that's a little bit obscured through history, mainly because men get elevated and, and, and women get minimized in, in history. And this is one of those cases where this should not be the case. She should be elevated. So I want to talk first about what we think we know about Mary Magdalene. Well, um, for a long time in the church, there, were, there was a rumor or a belief that she was this sinful woman described in Luke chapter 7. Um, that she had this horrible past and that uh, Jesus forgave her and honored her. And uh, while Jesus does honor Mary Magdalene, um, this probably isn't the case. Um, Mary Magdalene is mentioned in every, all four of the Gospels, including Luke. And so if this was Mary Magdalene, Luke would have just said so. Okay, uh, there, there'd be no hiding this. In fact, it would elevate her story some. Uh, but I think it's important that we, we, we get our characters straight and recognize that that's probably not who Mary Magdalene was. 
It's also commonly assumed that she's called Mary Magdalene because she's from a place called Magdala, right? And uh, that's another assumption I'm actually going to challenge today because it's pretty unlikely that that's why she was named that, and I'll get to that in a minute. So there's a couple things, little myth busters for your Easter Sunday about Mary Magdalene. Um, But here's what I think we should probably know today about Mary Magdalene. The first is this, uh, and I get this from uh, some amazing uh, women Bible scholars who have done just incredible research on Mary Magdalene, uh, Marge Moscow, uh, Diana Butler Bass, and, uh, and, and she pointed me specifically to somebody named Elizabeth, Elizabeth Schraber, who's done just incredible work on Mary Magdalene. Um, but here's what we're told about Mary Magdalene and the Gospels. We're told that at some point in her encounter with Jesus, she was possessed by seven demons and that Jesus drove those demons out of her. Nobody describes the scene. We don't get the narrative of it, but that's, that's how the gospel writers refer to her. Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus had driven out seven demons. That's powerful. That's powerful. I don't know what you believe about spiritual things and, and how that all works, but can you imagine being tortured in that way? To feeling completely lost, to being possessed, to be taken over by evil spirits or whatever is going on there, and then to be set free? I mean, Mary has encountered Jesus in a way that is just completely life-changing. And if you've encountered Jesus in a way that's completely life-changing, you know a bit of what, what her experience is. And you can see why she was absolutely so dedicated to Jesus. He set her free. He healed her. One of the things we also know about Mary Magdalene is that she's one of Jesus' closest disciples. Probably as close as uh, Peter and James and John, who are often described as Jesus' closest friends. She was probably in that inner circle. The other thing uh, that that I want us to know about is that she was one of his patrons. She helped fund his ministry. I just think that's a cool fact that that she was using uh, every aspect of her life to be faithful to Jesus. She, she, She didn't just follow him. She made sure that the ministry had what it needed. Pretty cool. The last one, Magdalene. What does Magdalene mean? Okay, so like I said before, a lot of people assume that this is uh, because she came from a place called Magdala. But there's not any evidence that the place that's currently called Magdala uh, was called that back in the first century. Um, So that name came about after Mary Magdalene. So how did that happen? What actually Magdalene means um, is, is this Aramaic word for tower. And I love that. Mary, the tower. That's her name. Mary, the tower. And we know this goes all the way. This isn't just new research. It's new research that goes back to ancient times. So St. Jerome was the one who confirmed this. And he said, Mary, the tower. She's a beacon of light. That's an awesome nickname. And I'm going to make a wild assumption this morning. It may be total speculation. Other Bible scholars have said that they think this might be true as well, but I think it might be Jesus himself who gave her this nickname because Jesus was a nickname giver, right? What does he call Peter? The Rock. But you've got to say it in Sean Connery's voice. The Rock. Uh, he, calls, he calls Peter the Rock. He calls James and John the sons of Zebedee. He calls them the sons of thunder. That's a great nickname. That's better than the nicknames I give to our pastors. Pastor Will is... Walker, the Texas Ranger. And Pastor Ty, I call him Pastor Ty, knee dancer. And uh, Jesus was better at nicknames than me. Um, 
But I, I think we need to rediscover Mary as the tower, as this, this steadfast, upright, strong woman of the faith. This person who, who first announces the resurrection of Jesus. God chose her to do that. That's not by accident. She's a beacon of light. What a beautiful title. And I want us to think, this woman who is so dedicated to Jesus, who is the tower of faith, what was she going through on Holy Saturday? She had to be through, going through just excruciating pain and confusion. This is the one who healed me. This is the one I gave my whole life to. This is the one who gives me meaning and purpose. And he's just gone like that? When we talk about the hope of resurrection, we're not talking about some theological idea. Yes, it's a theological idea, but it's more than that. We're talking about the undoing of the greatest problem that we have as humanity, which is death. Not just our own death, but we're also talking about the undoing of the greatest pain that we can ever experience, which is losing someone like Mary has lost Jesus. Lost, lost someone who, who meant more to her than life itself. Resurrection touches the deepest parts of us. And I don't want to talk about it just as a theological reality today. I want to talk about it as an actual like, human reality that we need this idea of resurrection. And I, I want it to feel a little more real to us. And so I want you to hear the story from one of our elder advisors, Lisa Park, and what resurrection hope means to her. Around the year 2000, 2001 is when I gave my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, and one of the first things uh, or first ways that I served in the church was in children's ministry. And uh, I remember one of the first lessons, because I was so nervous, um, was to teach on the three words, faith, hope, and love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. And so on and so on. And at the very end, the very end of that chapter, it says, and now these Three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. But if you were to ask me to teach on that today, I would still agree, yeah, love is the greatest of the three, but I would also stress that faith and hope, um, they're so close behind love. For me, my hope in Jesus is the key to doing life on the daily. Um, in 2013, my son was in a car accident and he, he went before us. He led the way um, to heaven for our family anyway. Losing a child is, is hard. Of course, I had my husband and my daughter and family members, church family, praying for us and surrounding us with support and love, but it, it was very dark. Um, I can honestly say for at least a whole year, I cried every single day at any time of day. 
doing whatever, um, it would just come up. I just couldn't stop crying and I just said, you know, I'm just gonna get in my bathtub and try to fill this tub up with my tears. And when I do that, I'll stop. That'll be the end of my, my grief. But I, I could only <laughs> sit there and cry for about 30 minutes and I was just so done with it. But it really hurt. I was still grieving. Um, and there were some even darker times where I'd be driving and I'm like, I just can't do this. I can't do life anymore. I would just, let me just turn into the traffic and I'll end it all. I couldn't do that, but it, it got that dark. And I believe that's where the enemy wants to keep us. He wants to keep us um, lonely, sad, helpless, and hopeless. I was reading a lot of books about heaven because I figured if my son was there and I trusted that he was with Jesus, but I still needed to know what he was doing. What was he experiencing? I also am greatly inspired by those videos of military servicemen and women that come home from you know their duty and they're surprising their loved ones and there's just a lot of hugging and kissing and crying tears of joy and that's what i that's what i imagine my grand reunion to be like with jason when my time comes so my hope is for that grand reunion and when I get to that point, I will probably have to ask, but why, why did you have to take him so early, <laughs> you know? And I'll get the answer. I'll get the answer. I think the tears will come. Yeah. There's a reason for what I went through um, that I can learn and take and then share and perhaps help someone else that's, you know, experiencing the same stuff. Um, or just sharing that, you know, yeah, things are crappy right now, but they do get better. You just have to get to that point where you can place your hope in Jesus. That's all I have to say for now, but I hope, uh, I wish everyone a happy Easter and see you when I get back. That is a powerful story of faith and hope. To, to be in that position of, I, I don't know what I'm going to do moving forward. But I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and just do the next right thing. Uh, thank you, Lisa, um, if you're joining us online, and Jay as well. Um, thank you, Lisa, for sharing your story with us. Um, because it gives us a, another example of a, of a tower of faith. Doing the next right thing. 
And this is a, a phrase that I take from a, a great book by Emily P. Freeman, and it's also the title of her podcast. And it's, it's about decision-making in an uncertain world. I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow or in the future, but right now I'm just gonna try to do the next right thing. I'm gonna cling tight to the hope of resurrection, even when it feels like I'm just hanging by a thread and wait for that reunion in the presence of Jesus. That's the story of Mary Magdalene on that, that holy Saturday and that early morning, that first Easter. She didn't know how to move forward. But when everybody else was paralyzed in fear, she and the other women just said, we just gotta do the next right thing. Let's go, let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's go to the tomb, let's care for Jesus, let's take care of his body. And we're actually gonna read now in uh, the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Mary Magdalene's story on that Easter Sunday. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. And when the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it, and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other women headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb and immediately noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening and into the tomb, but wait, Jesus' body was gone. And something else, a shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, what are you doing here? This is a tomb and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leaped. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had awoken from a nightmare. The, the other women rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How could it be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? And just then Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he found her. Mary, the only person, only one person said her name like that, and she could hear her heart thumping. She turned around and she could just make out a figure. She, she shaded her eyes to see, but she thought she was dreaming. She wasn't dreaming. She was seeing Jesus. Mary fell to the ground and sudden tears filled her eyes and great sobs shook her whole body. All she wanted in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Jesus said gently and always be close to me, but now go and tell the others that I'm alive. And Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast in all her life. 
She felt like she could have run forever. She didn't even feel her feet touch the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with, with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning as she ran, almost as if the world had been made anew, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? She couldn't wait to tell Jesus' friends. They won't believe it, she laughed. And she was right, of course. I love that telling of the story. Everything sad coming untrue. Death is defeated. Death itself is becoming untrue. Jesus' resurrection. He went first. He was raised from the dead so that you and I one day can be raised from the dead and have new life. That's the hope that we heard about in that video. What happened to the Park family is absolutely awful and, and it's... They still grieve, and, and, and yet it's not the end of the story. Resurrection is. Making death even come true. I don't know what you bring to Easter Sunday this year. I don't know if it's joy or sorrow. I don't know if it's a sense of certainty or a sense of doubt and confusion. I don't know what you bring here today. But as many other people have said before, if it doesn't look like new creation, if it doesn't look like a new heaven and a new earth, then it's not the end of the story and we can hold on. Revelation 21. This is the future. This is what the future when resurrection is a reality for us. This is what this is what the Bible tells us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There'll be no more crying, mourning, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. It's such a beautiful thing to sing that this Easter, of making all things new. That's what he's doing. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this news that Mary raced from the tomb to the disciples to share this news that Jesus is alive? Well, the first thing we do is we put our faith in Jesus. That's what Mary did. She ran to spread the message. And what we know of her influence on the church during her lifetime, she stayed committed like an unmoving tower to the message of Jesus and the hope of resurrection. She continued to follow him each day, doing the next right thing, even in the face of struggle or doubt. And she was the spark that lit this undying flame. She ran to share the good news with Jesus' best friends. One of the funniest things in the whole Bible, one of the 
but I think it's a joke. I really do. I think John is trolling when he writes this. When John writes about this, Mary came and told them, John and Peter, two best friends, hey, Jesus is alive, and they ran to the tomb. And what does John say? John said, I outran Peter to the tomb. And then later he says it again just to make sure it's clear. The guy who got to the tomb first, that was me. So that for the rest of history, the rest of us would know that Peter is, or John is just trolling Peter and saying, I'm faster than you. <laughs> but they raced. They raced to see that it was true and it was true. And that Jesus uh, appeared to them, to his 11 remaining followers, and then to at least 500 other people. And these people, they believed in the resurrection so deeply that they dedicated the rest of their lives to it. In fact, many of Jesus' best friends, including P Peter, were ultimately killed for their faith. Think about that. Think about Peter. On Good Friday, he denies Jesus three times because he's scared. He's scared. What if they kill me too? Because I'm with him. And then, and then here as Jesus is in the tomb on Holy Saturday, he's hiding with the rest of them. Hope we don't get caught up in this again. Hope, hope we're safe. And then Jesus appears to Peter. He eats with Peter. He forgives Peter. He restores him. Peter would believe in this resurrection hope so deeply that he, he spent his whole life committed to telling the truth. Even when he was threatened with death, he wouldn't stop telling people about the risen King Jesus. It's like he was saying, I can't stop preaching. And even if you kill me, that's fine. Because Jesus' resurrection means that I too will see resurrection. And I won't stop telling everyone about this good news. That's the power of resurrection hope. Look how transformed Peter was when he heard the good news from Mary that Jesus was alive. So what does it mean to have faith like Peter or to have faith like Mary Magdalene, the tower, this beacon of light? What does it mean to have faith like that? Well, first I would say this. It's like an equation. You know, faith is belief plus allegiance. Belief plus allegiance. What does that mean? It means we participate in making all things new. That we see God's amazing act of love, his giving of his son Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And raising him again that we might have new life. We respond by saying we believe it. And we believe it so much that we're going to mirror that love of God to each other and to all creation. I talked on, on Good Friday about Jesus and some of the last words he shared with his disciples as he talked about what was about to happen to him and they're trying to make sense of it. What was his command to them? A new command I give you, love one another. The world will know you're my disciples when you love one another. How do we respond to this good news? We believe it and we love. New life begins now. And it looks like being reconciled to God, but it looks like joining God in his reconciliation work. It looks like proactively working God to make everything sad, untrue as best we can. It's not always easy and sometimes tricky to even know what that looks like. But each day, even when we face doubts and obstacles and sorrows, we look to the risen Jesus. We believe that whatever happens today, good or bad, is not the end of the story until we get to that beautiful reunion with Jesus and all those who've gone before us. 
We invest in a world here and now where we do our best to do the next right thing. And that next right thing is usually going to look like wiping tears from the eyes of others, those who are in pain. It's usually going to look like investing in other people to help their lives flourish. It's living in this place where pain and death and tears are still among us, but they don't get the final word. We invest in that new creation where God is present amongst his people. We extend God's presence through following in the footsteps of Jesus who saves us through sacrificial love. We press on even when our questions and our fears and our pain don't have an immediate answer, just like Mary Magdalene that holy Saturday. We do the next right thing even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. And we hold on to that hope, that resurrection hope, even if we're hanging on by a thread. The hope that says it's all worth it, that living by faith will be worth it. You're practicing for the kingdom that's coming. You're living as if heaven is here now. And when heaven and earth collide and we're in his presence, you'll have already been a part of making things new with Jesus. One day, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. As we close, I just ask, can you believe it? Can you hold on to that resurrection hope? Can you say to Jesus today, I am yours. I'm living for you in your, kingdom, in your eternal kingdom here and now because I believe, I believe in that reunion to come, that resurrection to come. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you this Easter and we thank you for, for the, the way that you spoke through Mary Magdalene. The way that you spoke through this tower of faith, this steadfast woman who, who demonstrates for us what faith can look like. Lord, we, we thank you for the good news of resurrection. Lord, we, we, just, we admit there is no life apart from you. So we want to receive new life here and now. We want to be a part of the work that you're doing to bring healing to this broken world. God, we, we want to know that there's hope for all this pain and loss that we've experienced, that there's something on the other side of that, and you show us that's true. Because you live, we too may live. Lord, we hold on to that hope, and we live by faith. We live by faith, just trying to do the next right thing. Give us, a, give us a vision for what that looks like. Give us a love for each other and for everyone we come into contact with. The kind of love that you have, the sacrificial love that you show. Make us like you, God. And Lord, for anybody who's here today and is just overwhelmed with grief and sorrow, God, give them hope. Give them your peace today. Show them that it's not the end of the story. Anybody here who's got doubts, because it is crazy to believe in resurrection, if we're honest. If there's anybody who has doubts, Lord, speak to them, show them. Nothing is impossible for you. If there's anybody who wants to take first steps of faith in Jesus, God, I just pray that you speak to them today.
Get them plugged into community. Get them plugged into to church so that, that together, all of us continue to just take the next right step, whatever that looks like, together, God. We're not alone. You give us each other. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Continue to worship this morning. Would you stand with us as we sing in response to the good news that Jesus is risen? I'm going to do a quick call and response. This is a tradition in the church. Someone would say, he is risen, and everyone else would reply with, he is risen indeed. So get your outside voices on, and let's do this together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's sing to our risen king.